glad that you're here. For all of us, happy Father's Day to the men. And, um, and some of you, just your first time with us, and uh, we're glad that you came to worship with us this morning. In your program, as you came in, there is a connection card. And then I should take a minute, fill that card out. And then at the end of the service, we have an offering, and you can drop that card in the offering basket as it comes by your way. And we're so glad that you came today. Hope you enjoy the worship this morning. Um, last week, we made a special announcement and, uh, that we made an offer on a building, and, it's been, and the offer had been accepted, and just want to give you a heads up on that, and some of you missed that, um, but that was a special week, uh, a special announcement, a special moment last Sunday, and uh, so just a quick announcement about that, this coming Sunday night, not tonight, but the following Sunday night, it's an open house at 6 o'clock over at the New Church building, and I want you to see it, want you to view it, want you to walk around it, and um, ask questions. And then we'll have a vote uh, right at that time. So probably between 6 to 7, and uh, we'll have child care provided there. Um, and so if you are needing that, and if you're planning on coming, let us know on the back of your connection card so that we can make plans for that. And, um, and just let us know who's happening, who's coming. And uh, I can't wait for you to see it. And uh, I know a lot of you have been looking at it from the outside in. You've been looking into the windows, and uh, you can't wait to see what it actually looks like inside, and um, we want to show you that, and so um, that's next Sunday night, and a lot happening this week. We've got a lot of different meetings, and I'll be praying for the lender, be praying for all the appraisals, the inspection. That's happening this week, so the ball's rolling, and some of you have asked, you know, what's the timeline on, on the building? Uh, we, we will most likely get the key. Uh, toward the end of August, and give it give it a few weeks to get inside, clean up, do some things that we need to do to it. Um, but we're hoping that we can be in the building at some point toward the end of mid-September, maybe toward the end of September. So it'll be here before you know it. And, um, and so thank you for being patient. We've been waiting for nine and a half years. I think we can wait three more months. <laughs> so, well, today I want to dive into Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, we're going to look at life in the belly of a whale. Now, we don't know if it's a whale. It could have been a large fish, but it was a big fish, whale. I probably used the word whale for the most part uh, today. Um, now, the fish, or this whale, is not the star of the story. Remember, the, the whale is only mentioned, or the fish is only mentioned four times in the book of Jonah. The star of the book of Jonah, if I have to remind us, it, it, the star is a great and loving God, the God of second chance. That's what the story is all about, the God of the second chance. So I want to recap last week, chapter 1, real quick. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, the largest most influential city of the day, but was also a city known for its cruelty, barbarism. I mean, they were ruthless people. And, uh, and God told Jonah, I want you to go, I want you to preach the good news to the Ninevites because I'm giving the Ninevites a second chance, a second chance. Let them know that I'm the God of the second chance so that they can repent and come back to me, and Jonah did not like that. 
In fact, Jonah hated the Ninevites so much, probably because maybe he lost a friend, maybe a loved one, you know, through Jonah, uh, uh, through the Ninevites and the Assyrians, what they've done. And, uh, and so maybe he lost them in a, in, a, in a horrible way. But whatever the reason is, he hated them. And he also knew, we see this in chapter 3, he knew that God was a God of second chance. And he knew that God was going to forgive them. And he didn't want that to happen. He hated them so much. He didn't feel like they should be forgiven. And so in, instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah went west. And he went as far west as he could on that day, headed toward Tarshish. But whenever you're running from God, you can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. And so Jonah ran into a storm, and in the storm, the sailors, they threw him overboard. And then we see at the end of chapter 1 that God provided, he provided a great fish. He provided Jonah's worst nightmare. And it was exactly what Jonah needed so that he could stop running from God and turn toward him. And so that's where we pick up the story for today. Jonah chapter 2, we see it's the prayer of Jonah. It's a beautiful, beautiful Hebrew prayer. Some people call this the Psalm of Jonah. So we have this runaway prophet who didn't talk to God in chapter 1, neglected God. He is now praying and we see him being delivered from the spirit. Eventually, we'll see that. If you know the story, he gets thrown out of the, you know, you know, vomited up out of the fish, okay? And uh, so we know that. And so we see this happen. We see this runaway prophet. And then he's recording later on, after he's been spit out, he's recording the prayer. He did not write this prayer. He did not write chapter 2 in the belly of a whale. Uh, this is not a Pinocchio idea, okay, where he can sit down at a little table and he's sitting there with a little lamp, okay? That's not happening, all right? And so he comes back later in hindsight, in retrospect, he writes down the lessons and the prayer that he learned inside the belly of this fish. So let's dig into the story, Jonah chapter 2. And we're going to break this down verse by verse. Jonah chapter 2, verse number 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. In other words, God said, Jonah, I got your attention. I got your attention. And some of you right now, God got your attention. And I pray that some of you, your prayer life, will reemerge because God got your attention. And in this verse, we recognize that Jonah, and which is the title of this message, has hit rock bottom. He has hit rock bottom in the belly of a great fish. He has no place to go but up. And we can all relate to Jonah because we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. Jonah had made a mess of everything, a series of bad choices that led him 
to the belly of the whale, to the bottom, to rock bottom. But it all started with one bad step that led to another bad step. He headed toward west when he should have been heading east. He tried to live life his own way instead of doing it God's way. And when you end up living life your own way and not God's way, you will find yourself eventually in the belly of a whale. You hit rock bottom. Maybe today your marriage is in the belly of a whale. You were once so in love, and now you wonder what went wrong, and you made a series of steps going west when you should have been going east. Maybe you have a dream that's in the belly of a whale. You know, you have a dream and a goal that you had your entire life, and you see it dying right now in front of you. You made bad decisions, headed west when you should have been headed east. Maybe your finances today are in the belly of the whale, rock bottom. You're, you're in a financial mess because of poor decisions that you made. You made decisions where you were headed west when you should have been headed east. We've all been there, all of us. If we've all fallen short, we've all failed, we've all made mistakes, we have all blown it. We've all thought at times we knew better than God does. And we find ourselves in situations where it's rock bottom, rock bottom. How do you know that you've hit rock bottom? How do you know that you're in the belly of a whale? Well, first of all, it doesn't smell very good in here. <laughs> I, I heard it, you know, it, it smells better in an outhouse at the state fair than it does in the belly of a whale, all right? It smells bad. But how else do you know that you're in the belly of a whale with your life, that you've hit rock bottom? You're taking notes. The Bible says we'll see this. There's darkness. There's darkness. When you've hit rock bottom, there is darkness. Look at Jonah chapter 2, verse number 3 and 4. Jonah said, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Then he said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Jonah said, I have been banished from your sight, God. Jonah was saying, God, it is dark in here. I can't see anything. I can't see what you're up to, God. I have been banished from your sight. I feel like I'm in a dark place in my life. And when you're in the belly of a whale and you can't see anything, there's darkness. You can't see what God is up to. You can't see what God is doing. But not only is it darkness, the second thing to know that you've hit rock bottom is that there's desperation. Desperation. Jonah was trapped in the belly of a great fish. <laughs> it's an awful place to be trapped in. Look at verse number five. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Just imagine what an awful place this was. Temperature inside the belly of a whale is estimated to be between 108 to 115 degrees. All of the half-eaten 
digested fish and seaweed surround Jonah. Scientists have said that the gastric juices, you know, the juices that digest food, in, in, in the stomach of a fish that size would have been so powerful that it would have taken the hair off Jonah immediately. All the hair would have been gone. He would have been completely bleak. It's an awful place. We can't even imagine it. And Jonah felt like he was in a desperate situation. He felt trapped. And whenever you're in the belly of a whale, whenever you hit rock bottom, you feel trapped in life. You feel like there's no way out. You don't understand what to do next. You're confused. You don't know which way is up or which way is down. Maybe you've tried everything you can to change the situation, but you can't change it. You've tried everything to change a person you know, and you've come to the place where you realize you can't change anyone. Perhaps you've tried everything you can to change yourself, and you're not changing. And that's when you know you're in a belly of a whale. That's when you know it, when you're desperate, and you don't know the answer, and you feel trapped, and you feel like the walls are closing in. How else do you know if you hit rock bottom? There's death. There's death. You've got darkness. You've got desperation. There's death. Jonah was facing a certain death. I promise you, Jonah was probably thinking, this is how I'm going down. This is the end of me. And this is, the, this is not, I have never imagined this is the way I was going out. Verse number six, he says, to the root of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. I mean, he said, this is it. I'm going down to the roots of the mountain. The roots of the mountain is not up here on land. The roots of the mountain is deep under sea. He said, man, I am done. This is over. Jonah knew that he had built his own coffin with poor decisions and failures that he made. You see, it's in the belly of a whale where marriages go to die. It's in the belly of a whale where you experience the death of a dream. The belly of a whale where you see death of a friendship. It's the belly of the whale where you see the death of a career. It's the belly of a whale where you experience the death of hope. But when you think about it, not a bad place to be. You see what you mean? Because the failures and sins and mistakes that we make, God can somehow take them and turn them around. And he always does it in the belly of a whale. Sometimes a dream has to die before God can resurrect it. Sometimes a marriage has to die before God can work a miracle. Sometimes hope has to die before we realize that God, and he's the only one that can change things. Now, Jesus talked about Jonah. That's why we know Jonah's a real story, one of the reasons why. Jesus talked about it, and he looked, and look what he said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. But none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
He said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was saying this. You guys are always wanting me to give you a sign. And I'm not giving you a sign, except I'm going to give you one sign that's going to prove to you who I claim to be, that I am the Son of God. I'm going to give you one sign. Just as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, I'm going to be in the grave for three days and three nights. And just as Jonah was spit out from the fish, I'm going to be resurrected from the grave. I'm going to be resurrected to life. I'm going to be resurrected to a brand new life. Now, we go back to Jonah because we see the parallel. I would see the parallel of what Jesus is trying to make. He said the purpose of this story is for you and me to see that God resurrected, renewed his purpose in Jonah's life. Again, the book of Jonah is all about resurrection. It's all about second chance. It shows us that God specializes in resurrection. And that's why it's so important that when you come to your rock bottom, that's why it's so important that when you hit the belly of a fish, that when you come to a place where your dream has died, where your business has died, where your hope has died, when you get to that place, you need to know that God has you right where he wants you because he specializes in resurrection. He specializes in resurrecting dying marriages. He res resurrects dying dreams. He loves to resurrect dying hope. And only God can. Only can he do it. And here's where we see the point of chapter 2, if you're taking note. My greatest failure, your greatest failure, can be God's greatest moment. Your greatest failure, my greatest failure, can be God's finest moment. God said, don't run from the failures. Quit making excuses. Admit them. Realize that you've hit rock bottom. Turn to me, and I can turn things around. God specializes in resurrection. Do you find yourself in a dark, desperate, hopeless place? What you see what Jonah did in verse number two. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the, of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. And this is, this is so powerful and so amazing that you and I have the ability to call on the God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer, the one who spoke and hung the stars in the sky. He created the galaxies, created the heavens and the earth. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the supreme judge, 
the Holy One, the one who is all-knowing, ever-present, and all-powerful, we can call on him, the Bible says, he will answer us. The verse is not up on the screen or, or on your handout, but Jeremiah chapter 33, verse number 3, the Bible says to call on him. Call on Jesus. Call on God, and he will answer you, and he will show you great and mighty things which you know not. He will answer. And Jonah called on him after he basically just said to God in chapter 1, forget you, God. Forget you. And God, in his mercy, answered him. And think about that. Don't let the power of that thought pass you by. We can call on God even when we are so far deep in the belly of the whale, when we hit rock bottom, when we created our own mess, when we made our own bed, and we're sleeping in the bed that we made. And it's a mess. We can still call on God. You're not too far, but God can't hear. And he's listening. It amazes me how often people say, oh, man, things are bad. Things are terrible. It's so bad, bad, bad. We've tried everything. Now all we can do is pray. All we can do now is pray. Can you imagine how insulting that is to the heart of God? He's been here all along. He wants you to call to him. He wants to answer to you. Scripture says in the writer, from the writer of the Hebrews, chapter 4, verse number 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That means we have the right to step into the presence of God. I mean, this is a time period where if you didn't have permission to step into a king's throne room or an emperor's throne room, if you were out of place, out of line, and you step in without permission, they could, they could kill you on the spot. I was reading yesterday in my devotion in the book of Esther. Uh, in the early part of Esther, even Esther the queen was scared to go talk to the king. She had to have permission as well. And she took a bold step, and the king was in a good mood, and it didn't kill her. I mean, that was the time period. But in Hebrews, we don't have to go to the throne room of grace with fear. We can go confident. We have the right to step in. And he is ready to listen, the Bible says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can call on God. He will answer us. May not answer your prayers the way that you hope to be answered, but he will answer. Sometimes people, they don't even use the word pray. They say, you know, you're going through a hard time, Pastor Scott, you know, I'll be thinking about you. Do me a favor. If I'm ever going through a hard time, Please don't think about me. Pray. That's what I want. I want you to pray for me. I want to pray for you. I don't want to throw up thoughts 
in your direction. I mean, that, uh, that sounds good, but I want to pray for you because that matters. That does something. That moves God to do something. In the middle of Jonah's darkest hour, he cries out to God. He's in the middle of that darkness, desperation, death, the belly of the whale. When you look at verse 6 again. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath bowed me in forever. It's over. But then he said this. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. Will you underline that word, but you? But you. Again, we see the common, common theme of this chapter, that your greatest failure can be God's finest moment. And some of you right now, you feel like your life is spiraling out of control. You're going downward. And, there's, and here's what I want you to know. Never forget the but God moment. My life was out of control, but God intervened. My marriage was in trouble, and we thought it was over, but God changed my heart and healed our marriage. The doctor said there was no chance, but God had other things in mind. He had another plan. He had the final say. Don't forget the but God moment. Remember, all things are possible with God. He goes on in verse number seven. When my life was ebbing away, I mean, again, the other thing, he thought it was over, right? He said, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. I remember. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, some of you today, you're going to remember God. You're going to remember him. And you say, well, God, I didn't forget him. And I'm going to say some of you have. You have forgotten. You know, a lot of times when things are going well in life, now what do we do? We say, okay, God, thank you. And then at the same time, we're thinking, God, you can just, we're doing fine. We can just hang out over here. We'll call you when we're in trouble. We'll call you when we need you. But I'm going to do it my way. I've got it going on. I've got it figured out, God. I know what I'm doing. You just hang out over here. We do that when things are going well. And then one day, you hit rock bottom, or you recognize, man, I've been doing life without the power of God. I want to remember you again. I remember my God, and this is Jonah's defining moment right here. I remember you, God. I have forgotten the power that I had before that can only be found through you. I've been trying to do life my way, not your way. And God, I remembered. I can't do life on my own. Verse number seven, when my life was ebbing away, I remember God. And in the next verse, and in that verse, Jonah shifted his tone. Remember, Jonah's a preacher. He's a prophet, right? The runaway prophet, but at the heart of the day, at the end of the day, he's a prophet. He's a preacher. He's always looking. I'm, I'm a pastor too, so I'm always looking for a preaching moment. I'm always looking for a sermon. 
And Jonah finds a sermon right in the middle of the darkest place it could be. He found a sermon right here in this moment. And it's almost a warning to the people of that day and a warning to you and me right now. He said in verse number 8, here's how he says it. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling to worthless idols. What were Jonah's idols? Well, a couple of ideas on there. If you're taking notes, he had the idol of prejudice. Prejudice. I don't like this group of people, period. I hate them. All right? That's a whole nother sermon right there, right? Prejudice. He had the idol of self. Number two, he had the idol of self. In other words, I hear you, God, but I don't care what you're telling me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And in my opinion, if there's one thing that us American Christians need to do, American Christianity needs to let go of the idol of self. Yeah, I know what God's word says, but I don't care. I don't care. And I don't know what the idol of self would be for you. Perhaps the idol of self maybe had something to do with your image. You know, do I look good? Maybe it could be about relationship. You know, I like him or I like her, and I know I'm not supposed to sleep with them until marriage, but I don't care. I want to do what I want to do. It could be materialism. You know, things, money, 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 money. I want more things. It all makes me happy. It could be the adrenaline and the thrill of success. Maybe that's your idol. But Jonah said those who cling on to these idols will forfeit God's best for their lives. And that's a bad trade-off. Jonah said, man, learn a lesson from me. Don't hold on to these things. They won't make you happy. They won't bring fulfillment and satisfaction. Let go of these worthless idols so that you can be blessed by God's grace, God's mercy, and God's best for your life. Don't miss out. And then I like what Jonah did in verse number 9. But I would shout of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Let's stop right here for a minute. That phrase, what I have vowed, I will make good. Jonah said, I'm tired of running. I'm tired. I'm in the belly of a whale. God, if I ever get out of this mess, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I follow through. And I live to my end of the commitment, of my commitment. I will let go of my idols, and I will obey you. And <laughs> God did it. God took him right to Nineveh. So let me ask you a question. What have you committed to God? What have you committed but have not followed through? No, God, I'm going to really get involved in church, but you really haven't done it. Oh, God, I'm, I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start making a practice of faithfully given, but you haven't done it. God, I'm, I'm going to lead in my workplace with honor and integrity and character, and everyone's going to know that I'm a believer. You've said you wanted to, but you haven't done it. 
What is it that you've committed to God, but you haven't done it yet? It's time to do it. Don't wait till January 1 to make a new commitment. Some of you broke that commitment on January 14th. That's okay, because we're imperfect people. And I'm here to say, get back up. Get back up. Get back up. Commit. Commit. It's a decision that you made in advance that you're going to do, no matter how you feel. Lately, I've been, I've started a new thing in my life. Commitment. Started running. I hate running. I've got lots of different things I could be doing and not run. But I'm committed to it. Sometimes I'm running at 11, 11.30 at night, but I'm running. Karen's like, got to go to bed. I say, get behind me, Satan. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't say that. Woo, I'm in trouble. I'm my father's there. I'm in the doghouse. All right. I didn't say that. He said, I said, no, I've got to do this. If I don't, I'll start making excuses, and I just do it. I was in Alabama the past week. Had every reason why I shouldn't run, but I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I bought my gym shoes. I made a decision in advance. I packed it. I put it on. You know Alabama got hills? <laughs> Terrible. Commitment. Hey, what commitment that you've made that you've not followed through? And it's a decision that you made in advance that no matter what, I'm going to do it. Because if you make it at the spur of the moment, you'll always be talked out of it. In your own soul, in your own flesh, you'll always come up with an excuse. You'll always come up with an excuse. And then we come up to the last part of that verse, number nine. Remember, Jonah is in a fish. There was nothing that he could do to contribute to his own salvation. He's in a fish. He couldn't go and sacrifice an animal, make a sacrifice to God. He couldn't give money at the temple. He couldn't go and do good work, not in the belly of a fish. He couldn't help feed the poor. He couldn't do any physical good work to contribute to him getting out of the fish. And so we see at the end of verse 9, and he said something I hope that you're hearing a way that you've never heard before. He said this, salvation comes from the Lord. Doesn't come from anything else. It comes only by him. And that's where salvation comes from, from God, not from you, not from your works, not from doing good things, nor trying not to do bad things. New Testament said this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can brag about it. No one can boast about it. Salvation comes from the Lord. And when you recognize that, when you recognize that it cost his son Jesus Christ to shed his blood for you and for me, then you can be saved because of what Jesus did 
pluck nothing, minus nothing. There's nothing that we can do but to put our faith in him and him alone. Salvation. Salvation comes from the Lord. Verse number 10, as we close out. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. Kind of disgusting, right? But very powerful. And it drives home the thought that I hope that will echo in your heart for the rest of your life. And that's this. Whether you're on top of the world or whether you hit rock bottom, when you call on the name of the Lord, he will answer you. Your greatest failure can be God's finest moment. What is your greatest failure? Don't run from it. Don't hide. God can take mine. God can take your greatest failure. To turn it to his greatest and finest moment. Just turn to God, and he'll turn to you, and he'll change your life. Our Father, God, we love you. We thank you for your word in Jonah chapter 2. And the hope, even if we go so far, and we can run as far as we want, and we will reap the consequences. We can choose our sins. We can choose our lifestyle, but we can't choose our consequences. But, God, we know this, that no matter how far we go, even if we're in the belly of a fish, you're there, and you will answer us if we were to call upon your name. God, perhaps there's someone here this morning that was just in the belly of a whale, the pit rock bottom. Maybe there's an area of their life where they made bad decisions going west when they should have been going east and following your, and obeying your command. God, I pray that today, in the face of death, of their dreams, marriage, finances, hope, whatever they're going through, I pray that they see that there is a living hope and that it can become resurrected when they give it to you. And so God, your finest moment works through our greatest failure. And we're thankful for God of the second chance. In your name I pray. Amen.